Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. Now we're into 2018. It's probably a good time to look ahead, but also to look back a little bit on what happened last year with data visualization, uh, what happened over the last several years, and of course, what's going to happen in 2018. And to help me do that, I'm very excited to have Ben Welsh, who is the editor of the Data Desk at the LA Times, to chat about what's going on over there on the West Coast. Ben, how are you? Happy New Year. Thanks for coming on the show. Happy New Year, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited to chat about all things LA Times because some of the great stuff that you guys do that tends to be West Coast doesn't always make it over here to the East Coast. You know, it's sort of like the little story about the wildfires. And then I get to go to the LA Times website and really see some incredible stuff about wildfires or agriculture work that doesn't sort of make the front page over here. So why don't we start with having you talk a little bit about yourself and how long you've been at the Times and and, and the work that you all do there and how that data desk works in relation to the rest of the newsroom. Yeah, sure. No problem. So um, I've been doing the kind of nerdy thing uh, for, you know, gosh, I have to guess I have to count now. Um, I guess probably about 15 years uh, and about the last 10 of those have been at the LA Times. And when I started in 2007, I was working for latimes.com, which was in an entirely different part of the building and wasn't even in the editorial, quote unquote, section of the newspaper. <laughs> and uh, and the 10 years since, that's changed. And we've kind of gradually integrated and we have one newsroom now. And within that one newsroom, at actually kind of the center of it physically, is where our team, the Data Desk, sits. And we're kind of a small squad of reporters and computer programmers who use our uh, technical skills to get stuff done, to find and tell stories, to solve problems, to do research, to um, make things happen on the internet. And um, there's really a lot of different shapes and sizes that takes. I don't think any of it would really surprise you. You know, one observation I would kind of make about our industry is that the types of things people are doing are really quite similar from place to place. Mm. Uh, but the way in which the, they're done sort of within the organization or who does it can vary quite a bit. You know, kind of the mix of different tasks that are done by the mix of different teams in newsrooms can vary a bit. And even though our team is called the Data Desk, we do a little more than that um, just because of the way things have evolved. And so in addition to the kind of, uh, you know, old school computer assisted reporting type stuff where you're generating nut graphs from big hairy databases We also do um, a lot of uh, systems administration for newsroom tools that help us publish custom stuff uh, and fancy stories and things on the web. We do uh, the design for a lot of the long form and fancy packages that come through each year. And we do um, some data visualization and other work as well. And it really can kind of vary depending on the project and the people involved and what needs to get done. So I, I tend to describe our team as kind of the nerd Swiss army knife. Um, where we're trying to use our computer skills to solve problems and make stuff happen. Right. I mean, I assume there's a big culture shift having, you know, moved the two newsrooms together. Um, What was the transition like from going from a newsroom that was your, I I would guess, a traditional shoe leather newsroom and a separate sort of uh, dot-com newsroom and then pushing those together? Was there a big culture change, a big uh, effort to try to merge those two different, I would guess, cultures and skill sets together? Yeah. I mean, so when I started, the latimes.com was in a different part of the building with a different reporting structure. I was hired there and didn't even work, you know, I guess, for the editorial department. And now, you know, I'm, I guess, an editor within it and we're all employees under that umbrella. So like organizationally, it was all kind of moved under. 
which was done in kind of a big reorganization um, that went along with some pretty large layoffs um, a number of years ago. And that was kind of, you know, a, um, a big moment for the L.A. Times when all that happened. But, um, you know, just one change like that doesn't uh, sort everything out. Yeah. Um, these types of changes are really long and complicated and evolutionary and uneven, depending on, you know, where you are or what you're doing. And um, it's kind of really um, a struggle um, that everyone in the industry is facing. And we are, too, to try to, um, you know, get to where we need to be. Um, I don't think there was ever one moment where suddenly, a, you know, uh, the switch went on and things were different. Mm. But there's been milestones throughout. You know, that was a big one when the merger happened. Like another big one that's very procedural that I'm proud our team was involved in was having all of our copy being written in the web CMS first and then exported mm. to a print publishing platform rather than vice versa, which might not sound too impressive for people who uh, work on websites uh, and haven't worked in a print newsroom. But the reality is, is it's actually the reverse. Most places where you're writing in a print CMS and then at some boring bureaucratic process has to play out before it is, you know, exported to the website. And just right. even reversing that uh, last year to me was uh, in its own way, kind of a major milestone in the LA Times history. Yeah. Were there certain stories over that time span that maybe drew people in even more, engage them to say, oh, this is something that I can use in my reporting to, you know, connect with or communicate better to the audience? Like, were there milestone projects that you remember over that time as well? Well, there's definitely been a lot of big projects the years, you know, I'm proud of on our team. I don't know if we can necessarily take credit to having, you know, done the big story that, that changed the whole thing. I don't know. I, I don't know if you could say there's one story that really flipped things here. But I would say, you know, there's projects we've been involved on that were that were entirely kind of untraditional, mm. that didn't involve um, creating uh, like a traditional uh, print story at all. Um, things like we had a project, you know, eight or nine years ago uh, when I first started called California's War Dead, where we uh, compiled all the obituaries that had been written about Californians who died in Iraq and Afghanistan, made it into a database, then made that database into a website that had a page for each person and then also powered a lot of enterprise pieces. And then on a, on a going forward basis after that, we were publishing to that application before we were even researching and writing the obituaries and sort of incrementally updating them as the work continued. Mm. And I think that that, because the obituary writing process was a project that so many people in the newsroom were involved in, in the writing and research for, I think it was a way for us to expose a lot of people to doing things kind of a different way and kind of conceiving of what you're creating um, in a more structured, but also, you know, less conventional storytelling format. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in my time here, I think that's been a big one. Yeah. Now that you have the newsrooms together and we've seen a big change in technology and the way people are, are receiving their news, can you talk a little bit about the balance between desktop and mobile and how you all mm -hmm. think about that as you're creating either the small projects or even these big narrative features? Sure. I mean, everything has got to work on the phone. If it doesn't work on the phone, it doesn't work, you know. And increasingly, you know, um, a majority of readers are often seeing stories um, on the small screen. And so I think, you know, from the design standpoint, um, if not start with it, it has to be paramount or equal to the desktop. And um, that's just, you know, now fundamental to kind of the custom web development our team does. And I think probably every team like ours does. Um, I think, you know, one symptom of that or one um, outcome of that is, you know, this won't surprise you, I'm sure, is, you know, kind of a move to more static graphics over interactive graphics in many cases, um, because they're oftentimes just better suited for 
uh, mobile and in sort of the recalculation of the cost-benefit analysis of, you know, how much work you put into something, the increasing weight um, on mobile as an input, you know, makes the investment on the interactivity kind of often seem less worth it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so I think you definitely would see a lot more static graphics at the LA Times and pretty much everywhere across the industry. I think that's probably only going to increase, you know? I think that trend is going to continue. And I think, you know, you know, really boring, nerdy stuff, like you got to make sure the page isn't too heavy, you know? Yeah. And, um, and you have to think about also how you can maybe um, output uh, stories from data in an automated way or things that maybe serve that mobile audience that maybe wouldn't serve a print or a, sort of a long reading audience that's putting more attention in little bits and bytes of information. Like an example I would give is a few years ago, one of my colleagues developed a, um, a bot that automatically writes and publishes stories about earthquakes within seconds of them happening by converting the sort of pulse of information that comes out of the government seismographs into a very simple post, mm-hmm. um, which then is sent to the copy desk automatically who review it before sending it live. Mm. And that allows us almost literally within seconds to have a, a post uh, with a basic map and a basic summary of the earthquake ready to ship. And then uh, if it all worked out, publish. And that allows us to get that little bit of information that people more more often in a mobile space are trying to find kind of like immediately, hey, was that a big earthquake here in LA just seconds ago? Right. Um, and, and conceiving of kind of the audience's needs uh, from kind of the mobile point of view can lead you to, to like put an emphasis on creating more things like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. Everyone says mobile first. You just said mobile first. Are you literally thinking about, oh, we're going to do this news story on, I don't know, wildfires. Is it the development is literally mobile first? Or is it, you know, we have an idea for how we want to tell this story. And now let's make sure that it works on mobile. So my question is really whether it's thinking initially in a small screen versus thinking sort of broader and then modifying elements of the story so that they work on a mobile screen. I mean, in the last couple of years, our narrow team, the data desk, has kind of evolved more to uh, projects work, um, off breaking mm-hmm. news work. And so um, that particular example you gave hasn't come up for us. But, you know, our graphics desk, which is, you know, just increasing in strength and does a great job on uh, most of the kind of the breaking news work like that, they definitely are thinking that way uh. and are taking that approach. Um, when it comes to something more like a, a long-term project or something that you that you want to have kind of be special, um, I don't know if we think mobile first, but we're kind of thinking like what, you know, at its bare essence, what is the story we're trying to tell, right? And mm-hmm. then what is the most powerful way to reach, you know, our audience as we conceive them, um, you know, with the tools we have? And I think, you know, um, as part of like that conception and that uh, idea development process, you have to be thinking about people's phones because that is, you know, this gigantic percentage of your audience. And so for me, when it comes to um, like the project's work, I think it really begins with what's the story and how do we best tell it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. You sent out this tweet in, in December about 30 of the most viewed pages in 2017 and nine were by apps or designers. Can you talk a little bit more about that, expand about that? You know, what does that, I I guess really, what does it mean to you as someone who has seen this transition to have about a third of the biggest hits be from your team or from the development team? To me, it's just a sign that what we're doing is connecting with our audience and is kind of at the core of what our newsroom is doing to try to change and survive like in the digital uh, space. One of my sort of maybe secret motivations for writing a post like that is that one of my kind of pet peeves about particularly about data analysis projects or about sort of the 
car and investigative work is sometimes there's an idea out there that, you know, they don't draw a large audience, mm-hmm. you know, or that they're sort of um, part of an outdated sort of uh, prize winning process that happens in newsrooms or right, something. Right. And I just think that that is, at least in our case, 100% untrue and that our team is contributing to and trying to um, really move the needle with uh, reaching a digital audience and, and doing new things. And I think that um, I think that's almost certainly true, probably in most other teams like ours. And I think um, it's just an idea that I want to kind of reinforce and spread because I don't um, often see it uh, hammered as hard as I think it should. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's really good reasons to invest in the type of work we do that are, um, you know, to be frank, you know, commercial. And I think that's yeah. fine with me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that you know, that's that's one reason I think that that's an important story to tell. And two is I'm just really proud of the people who work on our team because I feel like that's a sign of their hard work paying off. You know, if you were to look at those nine things, I didn't really elaborate on what they were, but you would find kind of a broader array of things than you might think of with our team being called the data desk. They're not all just like data stories. Um, The number one uh, most viewed thing at the LA Times, at least so far uh, this year, was um, a series of editorials that our uh, opinion page put out early in the year about uh, President Donald Trump and uh, some problems they had with him. And um, in an effort to make a bigger splash out of this series of a half dozen editorials, uh, Andrea Roberson, who's on our Datadesk team, designed using our Datadesk custom publishing tools uh, a series of pages outside the content management system that really kind of blew these up and made them look special, you know, and improve their presentation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think obviously, you know, the primary reason that those editorials succeeded is the content and the writing and the people not on our team who, you know, did all that. But I do think a significant component of it was the excellent work she did in, in, in the design of it. And so that's why I think, you know, that that would be a case where our team kind of had a hand in, in something that you might not think of as the narrow data work, yeah. but was really important. Right. You know, I've noticed over at the New York Times that they've started adding the developer names to the bylines of, of news mm-hmm. articles. Have you all started to do that? And and if not, is that something that you think, I think going in line with what you were just talking about of your team being a crucial part and, and a central part, is that something that your group is looking to do in 2018? Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's something we've done for years, to okay. be honest. It's something we've done for, uh, I can't even remember, but a, at least five years oh. or more, a long time. Um, you know, there's different ways it gets kind of handled depending on the context. And you could, I'm sure, find inconsistencies in how it's been applied with zero exceptions. You know, if someone has done custom web development work that even if it's strictly cosmetic, mm-hmm. um, they receive a production credit at the bottom of the page. Mm-hmm. Um if, you know, that production work is for like sort of a, a data graphic, like say election results or um, some sort of standalone um, visualization, we do traditional bylines at the top of the page. And then, um, you know, in cases where it's like a long form narrative where we haven't done just uh, cosmetic design, but we've also contributed data analysis, um, there's sometimes kind of a mix between whether you receive kind of the traditional byline alongside the writer, which in many cases you do. Or, you know, this sort of uh, print tradition of a contribution line at the bottom of the writing, which is based on some judgment call about, you know, the significance of of the work that's been contributed. And, you know, there's a lot of, you know, messiness and give and take and when that happens and how. But, um, you know, to me, I think it's important that people receive their credit. Um, I You know, it might be better if we had kind of stricter rules in a system that everyone was on the same page with. But, you know, these things are evolving uh, all the time. And to me, it's just something we're, we're consistently trying to sort out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a continued evolution. Um, oh, yeah. 
I want to get your your thoughts on what were your favorite uh, stories from 2017. What pieces you all worked on that you thought were highlights? Mm. Not necessarily that may not have been the the biggest you know page views, but which one sort of struck you as both the editor and and as a reader? Sure. I mean, so here, there's a few um, local or California stories that might mm. not have got all around the world that our team participated in um, that I think were real good. Let's see. So uh, our first example might be um, Ryan Menezes on our team, who's sort of a actually a statistics person who has become a journalist on our team, uh, partnered with uh, Ivan Penn on our business desk, who's a, sort of a longtime energy reporter, to use data to help Ivan sort of raise his ambitions and write a bigger series of stories about some phenomenon. He, uh, phenomena. Did I get that right? Uh, you may have. I never know. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, they probably both. They probably both were wrong. But uh, some stuff. Yeah. So Ivan's an energy reporter on the beat, right? Right. He knows lots of stuff, um, but sometimes in just covering things that happen. Um, out there in the world, you can't take a step back and kind of get at the bigger issues you want to get at with the kind of good enterprise. And that's where data can often help. And in this case, I think it did where he had sort of been hearing from people and kind of sort of developing the idea that, um, hey, maybe California just has too many power plants, just has too much power. And this is not something that was in any story anywhere or that had really been written about at all. It was just kind of this thesis that some people on the fringes were kind of putting out there. And he wanted to find out if it was true and kind of evaluate that. And so we sort of teamed Ryan up with him and using a lot of uh, data, some of it uh, publicly available, some of it gathered, um, you know, through records requests and, uh, and other means, um, were able to like really dig in and go at that question. And the answer they found was that it's true that, that California um, actually has a gigantic and growing surplus of energy being generated by the power plants out there across the state. And we continue to build more. And uh, that's actually one of the reasons why price continues to go up. And so we have this kind of broken supply and demand curve of uh, demand is actually decreasing due to like energy efficiency, um, green alternatives, yada, yada, yada. Um, so demand is flat and supply is increasing, which, you know, if you remember high school economics, that should result in lower prices, but it's not. Prices are going up. And so the system in some kind of fundamental way is broken, and they were um, able to really dig into that through data. We wrote kind of three uh, big kind of stories through the year, which we tried to bring to life and take make this boring, complicated concept relatable through uh, illustrations and um, sort of a mobile-first sort of like slider kind of concept that was separate from the main stories. Um, and, you know, I thought that stuff turned out real good. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's resulted in a power plant being canceled, which is pretty cool, yeah. you know, um, yeah, as far as impact goes. And um, was to me just a great case of how um, statistics and data can help you, you know, kind of find and tell and, and prove out stories that otherwise would not be told. Um, and to me, that's one of the things I get a real kick out of in uh, in data journalism. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's having a huge impact. Were there any others that struck a chord with you this year? Um, so Ivan's on our business desk, and I am kind of proud this year that we partnered with our business desk uh -huh. more than we have in past years. And this is kind of you know part of that evolutionary process as you have sort of allies that you gradually develop within the organization, and then you seek to expand that network, you know, and, and draw in new people and new sections of the paper to kind of you know the approach we're trying to take. Right. And so this year we we did a bunch of stories with business that I I thought turned out okay. There was the ones with Ivan, and then there was another set we did with uh, two reporters, uh, Natalie Kitroeff and Jeff Mohan, 
about um, California's agricultural industry and how that has really changed in the last couple of years and how some of sort of the received wisdom and potted history of sort of how that industry works has is outdated. And a lot of things are changing. So like, for instance, um, due to increased border enforcement, there's actually tons and tons of people coming in through legal visa programs for temporary farm workers. And this is something that's just, just dramatically exp- exploded in the last couple of years. And we were able to write about that and kind of dig into that issue. Uh, problems with uh, housing for the workers we were able to get at, I thought, real well. And then also kind of an interesting economic story about um, another result of increased border enforcement, which is uh, there are, in fact, uh, wages that are going up for people who work in um, in some um, industries like uh, grape picking. Uh, but uh, that even though the wages are going up, they still are unable to attract Americans to take the jobs. And so, yeah. you know, this was another case where using data and kind of traditional on the ground reporting, we were able to do uh, kind of a much stronger story than we could have done without it. Right. Right. Well, it sounds great. I'm a huge fan. Um, I actually have a couple of uh, what are now probably older graphs that your team did that I use uh, in every class I teach because I think uh, one of the things that I love most about what your team produces is the the annotation on the graphs. They're they're all just I think uniquely uh, and expertly done to explain you know, concepts that people may not have any idea about or even graphs that they may not be familiar with. And and I think your team just does a, you know, extraordinary job with that. So, um, so thanks so much for that, for giving me enough material to teach. So um, anything you're looking forward to in 2018? I know we got a lot of news coming up, but any things in general that you see in the newsroom that, that you're looking forward to? Well, um, this is again, kind of uh, maybe boring to people who don't work at the LA Times, but we're changing over to a new content management system, the Washington Post's sort of ARC system. Mm. And that's going to be sort of a kind of big behind the scenes challenge to be pulled off, you know, primarily by the product people who will be responsible for, you know, 99% of the content that will be published out that system. But then it's also going to be new opportunities for our team that does special work to try to uh, better integrate things with our homepage and section fronts, to try to more closely integrate how we publish uh, custom outside the CMS work with the CMS, which is kind of one of these challenges I think kind of everybody faces, which is, you know, you don't want stuff so far outside that uh, copy editors, regular editors, junior um, developers can't really participate without like, you know, really ramping up their technical skills. But you don't want stuff so inside the CMS that it really, you know, limits what you can do. Mm. And so this new system is going to allow an opportunity for us to kind of try to uh, rebalance um, how that workflow works and how those tools work. And that's going to be kind of a challenge for us to sort out in the coming years, which I think there's definitely some good potential for um, to improve the status quo. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on the show and great work in 2017. And and I'm looking forward to see what you all come up with in 2018. Of course. Thank you for having me. And thanks to everyone for tuning into this week's episode. I will, of course, post links to all of the stories that Ben talked about. I hope you'll take some time to check out the LA Times stories. If you're on the East Coast, we tend to sometimes neglect those folks working all the way out uh, three hours behind us. But um, I'm a big fan, and, I, and I'm sure you will be too if you take a look at it. So do get in touch if you have comments or questions uh, or suggestions for other guests. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.